welcome to another episode of Part of the Gaps, the podcast that seeks to plug the gaps between the church and the culture. My name is Aaron Edwards and I'm joined by my co-host down under, our man down under, Andy Bannister, on Good the day, other Bruce. side of the world. The yeah. other side of the world. Yes, I am not quite as far south as you can go before you start coming north again, but we are down in, um, currently we've been on a speaking tour in Australia, so I have a... Uh, I've been in Sydney. Oh, and now in Melbourne, I get down to uh, to Tasmania on the weekend. Not quite the bottom of the world. And a, a speaking tour for people who aren't in the apologetics world. A speaking tour is like a holiday. Is that right? Really? That well, right? I wish it was a holiday. I spoke, I think, fourteen times last week in in Sydney, and about, <laughs> about a dozen times this time in uh, in Melbourne. So not quite actually, a holiday. Yeah. Side, it's, the, the, the folks I know have been brilliant because they've worked me hard, but they've also between, yeah, I, I speak quite intensively and have a day off. Speak quite mm. intensively, have a day off. So we've seen some great, great scenery. We got into you know we got to go and see uh, you know Circular Quay up in Sydney and the and the, and the Opera House. Uh, we got to go into the mountains. My kids got to feed kangaroos. Uh, we did wow. a great walking tour of Melbourne today and just, you know, seeing the history, it's, it's fascinating. So it's been brilliant. It's been really great. And just really encouraging as well to meet Christians down here because, you know, this uh, they're facing their own challenges. Australia has some similarities mm. to, to other parts of Western culture. It's a strange place because it's not West, but it is Western mm. in, the, in the cultural. Well, it's so, Anglophone, so, isn't it? So it's in Anglophone, that's by... the way. Yeah, it leans, it leans yeah. towards Europe rather yeah. than and yeah. towards uh you know uh, sort of asia although it straddles that but it's, yeah, uh, yeah. it's a great place yeah. it's been a it's been a fun week yeah and you've got a new a, a, and it, by the way i was gonna say i, just, I have a new background i have i have my office set up i mean i was more interested to carry on talking about australia really my office my you're, it's very polite of you um no but no it's no i do have a new okay. i have a, a vague office set up which is nice with with the nice um then if you can see in the background though no you can't actually see it the quit, quit you like men be strong from the men's Bible class in 1914. I have a, something, someone gave me that actually once, uh, a former colleague, which is nice. So I have that on my wall, which is good. I don't know, but uh, Australia wise, I was interested. I don't know why I thought this. When I, when you first came on the call earlier, I kind of thought the way your hair looks in a certain light, there is, there is kind of Paul Hogan vibes. Um, so I, it's, well, you know, they say Australia, where the men are. Where the men are real men and the um well I won't do the half of that joke because this is a family audience. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but the um, about- uh, any crocodile any crocodile Dundee memorabilia is there like a big no, no, is there like no, a no, theme no. park no. devoted to it? No, no. Is that only no, famous? No. Is it only famous in England? Is it like no one else in Australia really cares about it? Because to us, no, it's and like I the think um, topic. I don't think so, and I think it was obviously a tragic time to visit Australia because having you know England having lost the Ashes at cricket, uh, although we did recoup mm. uh, some some glory with the uh, with the football. Um, so there was much right. there was much gnashing of teeth down here uh, that the uh, that we did better than the Aussies in the in the football. So uh, so yeah. Ah, there we go. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a I I you know I can't I can't really think of any kind of uh, clever segue. I'll leave that for you to while I'm just rambling. Well, like, here's a segue to segue to today. Do you want a segue? This is I mean I don't know why why we pay the big bucks. Well, we don't pay the big bucks, do we? You know, um, you know. Obviously, there was hours of travelling to get down to here, so yeah. we watched some movies uh, and I listened to some music on my 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 phone while coming down. And I did you know what kind of music? Classic rock, and I also listened to some worship music. <laughs> I listen to some classic rock world. and worship music. Okay. Well, not at Excellent. the same time. That would be a very strange mashup. But I had a little bit of U two. Well, it wouldn't. I mean, that's arguably okay. Okay. A little bit yeah, of Rend yeah. Collective going well, on. Yeah. So, uh, so worship music. Oh, so look that at that. Segue. Come on, then take that. That's good enough. That, 
I'm, I'm going. You've given me the you give me the ball. You're the fit that you've thrown the ball to the. Give you actually, link trying to well, mix my cricket. Another link, and, 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 and our listeners can go. What the heck are these two jokers talking about today? Hello, Jay John, who always asks this. Um, the couple I'm staying with here uh, in uh, in Melbourne. So Richard is a retired church history uh, lecturer and a part time pastor, but he's doing a PhD, and he is doing a PhD in John Newton. And of course, John Newton was a great writer of mm. hymns. Famously, wrote. Um, Amazing Grace. Although interestingly, Richard, I'm staying with, is not doing his PhD in any of that. That's all been done. He's looking at John Newton's work as a pastor because John was also an incredible mm. pastoral legacy. Um, but he's an expert on John Newton. So we were talking about worship music and mm. hymn writing because, uh, you know, John Newton with his friend William Cooper, the poet, wrote lots of hymns. So if you can't work out from that that we're going to talk about worship music, then also the, the clues in the title too, isn't it, actually? That's right. Why, why that's to be honest, to people who know... People who want to get to the content will probably have just skip the first five skip minutes the anyway. First like, five minutes, they... <laughs> lather on about 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 something, and then they'll get to the about down under. No, but it's nice to hear the update on on, on Australia anyway, and it's good to hear those uh, all those things come together. But yeah, so our topic is indeed um, what's gone wrong with worship. What are uh, the things that have uh, animated the way that we understand worship in the church, like practice worship in the church? How does it affect the theology that we believe in the church? How, how we imagine who God is, how, how we think about um, God's activity in our lives and um, the kind of emphasis that is placed here and there. So what are there things that have gone w- wrong with worship? I mean, some people might say, what, what do you mean what's gone wrong with worship? What on earth are we talking about? So do you, I mean, do you want to start us off, Andy, by Tell us what you think has gone wrong with well, worship. Oh, thank and you. That's even a yeah, I can question. do that. Then the phone lines can light up, but there's a nine-hour difference into Australia. Um, we've got Australian listeners, haven't we? So they'll, they'll be yeah, yeah. Yeah, ready to... Well, I think just to say at the start, it's interesting. We, 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 we chose the title, what, what's, what's Gone Wrong, rather than What Is Wrong, because I think there's, there's, there's much good stuff out there as well. I just think it's more that I have some concerns. Um, and there's a, I have a couple of big ones, I suppose, um, would be would be this. And I actually, I mentioned John Newton. One thing I think is fascinating about Newton is when Newton um, wrote a lot of hymns when he was a, a Church of England pastor after he'd been converted out of mm. slave trade and you know, an amazing life of debauchery. When he was a, a part, when he was a, a Church of England minister, John had a real passion to reach the common people. And he mm. realized the common people often, you know, they certainly couldn't understand high, big theological ideas, um, some high levels of illiteracy in his day. And he figured out, well, hymns, if I take, if we write hymns and put them to tunes often that people know or the style of music people are familiar with, you can teach great gospel truths through music. And so he figured out you can mm. teach theology through, through hymnody. And so, you know, you take a you take his most famous hymn, which when he wrote it was just one of many hymns he wrote. He would write a gen, he would generally write a fresh hymn each week to illustrate the sermon he was preaching. So Amazing Grace at the time, nobody knew it was going to become this amazing, you know, sort of uh, hymn that we uh, has been the most recorded hymn in history. But you take that hymn because most people know that you've got vast chunks of the gospel. You've got the atonement. You've got salvation by by faith. All kinds of things built into that mm. into that into that yeah. hymn. Um, and if you sing that hymn and you're not literate enough to read the Bible or think about great theological ideas about the atonement, you've learned a lot based into that. My concern today, mm. Aaron, is a lot of uh, contemporary Christian worship music um, doesn't have that connection between theology and, and music. And I th- also meet a lot of mm. church leaders, if I'm honest, who I don't think have thought that through. I certainly meet a lot of worship leaders who I think if you said, oh, can you tell me how you think theology and 
and, and worship music intersect, mm. what the role of worship music is and teaching the congregation would look at you like you were mad. Um, and I think there's less appreciation mm. for that. And that worries me slightly. It's not a disaster. I want to be very clear, but I think it's a problem mm. because we don't just learn through mm. through the pulpit. And by the way, this is a problem in both, you know, much more conservative and perhaps much more, I suppose, charismatic, whichever way, way you go in the church. So more reformed kind of churches where we put all the effort is on the preaching. So it's all about the teaching mm. from the pulpit is where we expect all the work mm. to get done. And that's mm. a mistake. But then if you go to, you know, the other end of the church spectrum where the, the teaching is a bit perhaps shallower, there's a lot more, you know, worship music, there's much more, things are more charismatic. We mm. get the same problem at the other end where we put a lot more mm. time and effort goes into perhaps the worship music from the stage. But again, we don't think about the fact that there's a teaching component. So that's the first thing. And another big one, and then you can, uh, you can then just sit there and, you know, throw your own fuel onto the fire, is the feelings-based stuff, right? I've noticed in mm. recent years the number of more contemporary and i say more contemporary because this was true with some older stuff too so it's not just a modern sin um you know the number of songs that really when you look at what's being said it's all about me and my feelings uh you know i feel this about you god so i need to sing about it now there's nothing wrong about expressing your feelings the psalms is full of that but but i think when that's all that you do um, or it's a very narrow band of feelings that ex- that's expressed. I mean, the Psalms, for example, don't just express joy and happiness. They express sorrow and sadness and lament and, and anger and grief, the whole range. Mm-hmm. So we've got a very narrow band of human emotions. And also, if that's all that you do, then the danger is you're almost in an echo chamber. Um, you're not singing great mm-hmm. truths about God that builds you up, just repeating how you feel. And, I'm, and I think that gets mm-hmm. a bit of a loop, quite frankly. And also, it's hard mm-hmm. to do that corporately. Because if you're just going to sing about feelings, well, you know, across a congregation of 200 people, you have a whole range of feelings there. Some people Mm. will be happy. Mm. Some people will be sad. Some people will be grieving. Some people will be celebrating. But we just tend to go for the single tone of, I'm feeling happy, 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 Mm. happy, happy. And I I remember actually... when, when 20, we were just about to hit our 25th wedding anniversary. I was reflecting on our wedding. And one of my memories of my wedding day to Astrid is by the end of the day, feeling quite sore because we've been grinning all day long. You know, for all the photographs, you're constantly mm-hmm. smiling. Mm-hmm. And you get to the end of the day going, I'm not happy. I've just got locked jaw. And sometimes I come out of contemporary Royal, fa- worship. Royal family syndrome. Yeah. I sometimes come out of contemporary yeah. worship services sort of feeling I've got a spiritual lock jaw. I've had to grin through the whole service mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. everything's in one emotional key. So that's a concern mm. as well. Again, not a disaster. Mm. I think you know God made us with with emotions. We're not just brains on sticks. Um, but I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I think there's some some structural issues there. If I'm honest, what do you think? Am I mm, am I off key? There's Is a, something you add to this list. You're, you're always you're always off key, but you know it's, it's to the extent to which uh, you're off key. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. I, I think this is not, absolutely. I, I I certainly agree with lots of that. I mean, I think you are over slightly over over. Uh, egging uh, John Newton, uh, as, uh, it sounded as though you were saying he was like the inventor of hymns. Obviously, he did have many predecessors to him, but he was. No, no, no. I right. say I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not saying that. But he certainly, by the way, what I would say, I would argue he certainly popularized hymnody because at the time, the Church of England didn't like him singing. You were not supposed to be him singing. There was pushback on him and Cooper. For I just doing... mean a bit. I, I, I think the guy who, it was Isaac Watts, the kind of generation earlier, who did, who was the one who faced most of that flack, but he was in the non conformist tradition. So he was like. True. Yeah, he got a lot of flack from people who b- didn't believe you should be singing words that weren't scriptural. Correct. Um, and so, and, cause, and so, Isaac Watts' hymns, like "When I Survey the Wondrous Cross" uh, yes. and stuff, which was very vivid detail, kind of gory detail, no, not quite gory detail, is that quite right? But just thinking about the physicality, it was almost um, 
people there were lots of very conservative people who were annoyed at that and saying actually you shouldn't be doing that because it's manipulative of the emotions and that's kind of you think wow gosh in the you know 17th 18th century to to have um that kind of reflection but it also gave people often also say it gave the non-conformists those who weren't anglicans it gave them a um a kind of theology handbook in the hymns so the hymns really were deeply theological it did did, and you're so right like i think most thankfully i think people do recognize this but you're right in the contemporary kind of charismatic ish world where this this kind of worship music is a thing and when you say worship music it normally means guitar-y feelings-y type music doesn't it when you say worship music you don't actually think ah hymns was actually really hymns is worship music but we we say worship music, and we think kind of Matt Redmond, Tim Hughes, Hillsong, Bethel, etc. Um, yeah, but the, and where the theology doesn't quite, it doesn't always correlate quite quite so so well. But hymn writers were historically those who really did, um, yeah, really did go to town in trying to kind of actively, proactively give the church a, a robust theology and a theology that can sing. I think I think I don't know if I mentioned before. I've got a good friend who's set up a a um, kind of a, a, a mini Bible school in a, in a city a few years ago called Theology That Sings. It's Nathan Paler. And he wanted to, he called it that because he did say that's what theology should be. Your theology should be something that's singable. Um, and it, is, it shouldn't be something that you just, it's, it's just abstract blob data. You go, right, here's my data, like, a, like almost nerd-like way of looking at theology. It's not like coding, theological coding. If I get the Bible right, if I just do the coding right and work, put all the bits in the right places... I've I've worked God out. It's actually theology in action is theology that you can that it really sings out in your life. There's a metaphor to that, but there's also a very literal sense of does it have a cadence in life? Does it have a cadence when you actually even sing it? Um, how, and and what's the correlation of the music, the aesthetics, and the music to the actual beautiful words you're singing, the wonderful truths? So my daughter even said to me once in a worship time, um, I won't say where, um, but uh, she was. I was wondering why she wasn't singing. And it was, she said, actually, shouldn't we, shouldn't the um, music, shouldn't the way that this tune works be more dramatic for the words that we're singing? And I was like, yes, <laughs> I agree with you. It should. Because sometimes we, we pick the worst melodies or the kind of droning on, or, or maybe it's the worst that we repeat and repeat and repeat a refrain. And it doesn't feel like it correlates with the kind of grandness and the dramatic nature of it you think of some of the great music in this world some of the great hymn writers were well, maybe not always the hymn writers themselves but people who appropriated tunes and added them to the words of a hymn they really thought about that correlation of the music and the words and so there's something mm. in that that's really powerful and important and of course all worship leaders are trying to do that they're not they're not sitting there going how can i make a really boring or inappropriate inappropriate um tune to the words but but ultimately i think it's something we, we do need to think more about and maybe be bolder in um, because sometimes we kind of get into a narrow mindset this is how a worship song sounds i have to do it like this and it's always good to have pioneers who can break the mold sometimes really for the mm. sake of always for the for the purposes yeah. of of um yeah creating that that space where you're able to uh, that situation really where, where people are able to worship god in spirit and in truth and in the wholeness of their being you know love god with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I think there's something about that which incorporates the aesthetics, which we, we kind of sometimes let go, um, historically yeah. and evangelically. I think, you're, um, I think you're right. And I think the other thing I'm conscious of, of course, is that worship, music, and fashion comes in in phases. You know, you mentioned yeah. that the tune was a bit of a dirge. I mean, I, yeah, I can vividly remember growing up. I grew up in a, you know, in a Baptist 
sort of family went to went to ch- a tr- fairly traditional Baptist church in London, and we had the Baptist hymn book. And boy, there were some mm. real deathly hymns. And I, I can remember that experience of you know, yeah, a hymn would be announced, and you'd open the hymn book and look at it, and you, your heart would sink, and you go, "Man, there's nine verses." And you sort of mentally go, we take, <laughs> we take a 90 seconds to sing the first one. So this is another 11 minutes and this is like a funeral march. Um, or the so joy when they say, or the joy when the, when the, when the worship oh, yes, the they would go, we'll the then says, oh, we're only going to do the first three verses. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yes. So there was, there, yeah. So let's, so I always say to people, we mustn't fall into the trap of going, it was good in the old days because there was some awful stuff. But then today, I think mm. we've gone the other way where, it, you know, one gets stuck in this, uh, this trap of, you know, well, I have to, you know, sit, you know, construct a model where, you know, we, we do two verses and sing them 19 times and, uh, and almost by sheer repetition mm. somehow think that it's achieving something. And then, by the way, the other thing that I've seen some churches do, I first encountered it at the church that we attend, um, but and then I was down here in Australia at the church. I came across the church doing it, which sort of does my head in, is when rather than put the words up on the screen in their entirety, they'll put a video, they'll put a video feed of the worship band and they'll put one line of the song across the bottom of mm. the, of the screen. So if it's a song you don't know, um, I actually can't sing it because I refuse on principle to sing out words that I don't know where they're going because I, I'm a thinker. So I'm like, can you just put the whole mm. verse up there so I can read and go, okay, now I understand what's being said here and, and this makes mm. sense and I can engage um, with it. And, mm. uh, and stuff. So, so I think, I think there's a lot of thinking, both practically, that needs to happen, and theologically. And then practically, by the way, the other thing I think that's gone on um, has been a few years ago. The danger of falling into a things are better than uh, thing. I think there was a much greater distinction between contemporary Christian music and worship music. In fact, I was recently reading um, mm. a book by an American singer-songwriter called Andrew Peterson, who's also a very gifted writer. And his book, Adorning the Dark, is a brilliant book on creativity and the role of the Christian artist. And he's got a throwaway line in there where he says, you know, today a lot of what would have been once been contemporary Christian musicians are all writing worship albums because the Christian music world has become this big publishing machine and worship albums sell more. You know, the, 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 you know, the, the Gettys, you know, sort of blaze the trail. And that's not mm. to criticise them. They're brilliant. But everyone else has figured that's doing this. But where that leads to... Is that the barriers between contemporary Christian music, which is music about God that you can stick on in the car, but you know you don't have to force a congregation to sing the darn stuff, collapses into worship, mm. and so you get the ridiculous scenario where we've had in the church we attend, where they occasionally will stick on Rend Collective's "My Lighthouse" and mm. such things, and expect the congregation to sing it. And I'm like, they're trained mm. singers; they're like professional musicians. There are some quite difficult yeah. notes and. Oh, and to be fair, there's something a bit further ago. I you know, as a young Christian, I remember when Delirious was around. Oh, yes. And, you know, I found Jesus. Um, and, you know, that's got some high notes. I mean, Martin Smith clearly yeah. wore incredibly tight trousers so he could hit those notes. <laughs> and the sight of some dear old lady, you know, or dear old yeah. gentleman, you know, who's got no musical experience in a congregation on a Sunday morning yeah. trying to sing that. I'm like, please just... You know, somebody told the worship band <laughs> that's a song for the car. But again, because I, I think because we've forgotten what worship is, we've then forgotten what Christian music yeah. is. And the whole thing is a it's a bit of a mess. And, yeah, and really, yeah. I just think there's a need for churches to sit down and begin processing a bit theologically and going, okay, what is worship? What are we trying to do? Mm. I mean, you know, and there are a lot of answers to that mm. from from glorifying God and focusing on Him, but also to mm. teaching truths to encouraging one another and if you know 
more if you know what you're trying to do it's easy to ensure that you do it whereas i think in some churches worship has sort of become the filler between the coffee and the sermon yeah absolutely i, I totally uh, agree with loads of that i think um especially it's interesting you mentioned delirious earlier as well because um I, I have fond memories of becoming a christian actually and and seeing delirious for the first time and and uh, i think they were doing something quite different in their time what i was saying earlier about the blending of the aesthetics with the content and the meaning they did have a real um yeah kind of powerful sense about about bringing those two together and that was really good but you're right there was that other that other problem that they were so good you know in terms of um, technically speaking musically but also in terms of the vocal range of martin smith that it it did breed this kind of culture of worship where you had these amazing worship leaders who wrote songs that were not actually congregationally sensitive as it were that it was very hard to be able to sing them or or it was easy to sing the verse and then it got to the chorus and the chorus would kind of take off and you'd be like i can't quite get to that you have to drop down an octave or something um so that's something that i think that has probably affected how how people think about worship itself anyway let let alone the fact by the way that we've even even in our conversation we've probably already made loads of assumptions about worship anyway haven't we that are kind of evangelical charismatic ish in, in, in that sense, because many traditions would think of worship as a far broader thing than just singing anyway. They'd think of the whole service. They would say, would call it worship or worship being a, a, the, a, the broadness of, 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 you know, recognizing Christ's lordship in all of your life, um, et cetera. Whereas we, we tend to think in some uh, more evangelical charismatic traditions, we tend to think right now, now is the worship time and now is the prayer time. And then now is the word time, et cetera. Um, when really some would say, no, you're coming to worship and, and you're, you're actively setting aside time to come to worship. So, you know, the Presbyterian, Sabbatarian traditions tend to be really big on that, don't they? In, in the terms of coming to this reverent place that I'm coming to worship God, that it's different. This time is almost sacred. It's different to something else. Whereas in, in the, my tradition, it tends to be more difficult to to see that because you're 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 sort of saying we're not being religious and then god is you know we're, we're able to experience christ in all these different areas of life um and yet there's we also sort of act like there's this magic time where the holy spirit is more active because the guitar player is singing in a certain way and we welcome the holy spirit in a, in a unique way i've always been kind of wrestled with that language because i kind of think this i mean the holy welcoming the holy spirit into the worship time is the holy spirit almost already there uh, already living inside us, already uh, active in our lives, but we sort of welcome him in, in a unique way in the worship time. There's something interesting there as well, isn't there, that kind of feeds into this culture that's sort of be created. Yeah, and I think the other thing, I think that's a really helpful observation. And uh, and as you say, we have made a number of assumptions to how we've addressed this. But I think when you pull the camera lens back, it's also helpful because you know I grew up in a tradition and have been in several churches um, since where you have the kind of hymn prayer sandwich right? You know, you sort of stand up and mm. sing a hymn and you sit down and do something else and mm. up, down, up, down, up, down, which can be quite challenging sometimes to get your mind focused. And I've also been in church traditions where you stand up and sing songs for 45 minutes until your your, your legs are ready to drop. But I think mm. thinking about worship being bigger than just the music then begins to be, you know what, there's a radical idea that actually the church notices can be also part of worship because there's something about bringing everything mm. to, to the Lord. Actually, to pr- blow it out even further, you can, of course, make the argument that the whole of Christian life should be an act mm. of worship that the more we can think about everything mm. we do in that attitude 
of worship. I go into the workplace. That's my kind of act of worship and how I serve my colleagues and my community and how I am with my family is an act of worship. Mm. Now, the danger is there you, you make worship everything. Worship becomes nothing. And clearly the Bible does have a model that there is something significant mm. about coming together as God's gathered people and singing and praying uh, together. That's there both Old and New Testament. Mm. Um, but I think, yes, mm. it is a helpful reminder uh, to go that it shouldn't not just be thinking of the of the of the singing parts is the piece there. But I guess for me the big thing is even asking the questions is the is the important thing. Um, and I think mm. there's also because there is the danger too that we have to recognise honestly. Right, the danger is you can if you're not careful. I think in discussions around worship is you take your preferred service style and you kind of sanctify it. So you go okay, yeah. the way we do it at church is the right way, you know. And those crazy mm. Anglicans over there have got it wrong, or those. Nutty, nutty charismatics got it wrong. Rather than going, look, we've all got different styles of expression, and that's fine. That's, that is one reason we've got different denominations, and to an extent, that's not a problem. Um, but the bigger questions lie behind all of them. You know, what is what is worship? Um, how you prepare yourself for worship? I was reading an essay mm. by you know he was often mentioned on the show from my side fw borman who's fresh in my mind because i'm in australia he, he who shall always be mentioned yes well yeah and i and i get to have lunch on, on breakfast on thursday with a guy here in melbourne who's done his phd in borman and then we get to go and see the grave the grave where frank and his family are buried so i'm, I'm going to be geeking mm. out but i was reading an essay by him recently where he, was, he had a little essay just called saturday where he talked about you know the beauty of the day of saturday because it's a day you know where there's a whole number of sort of you know sort of Fun, fun things that come with it, time with family, unwinding, rest after a busy week. But he also then goes on to talk about it's a sacred day because it's the entrance way to, to Sunday. So actually there's something about how you approach Sunday. So he talks about Saturday night, you know, almost have the sort of, you know, as Christians should have this almost slightly sacred quality that you're approaching Sunday, mm. which is just, just magnificent. I remember reading it thinking, mm. gosh, I've never thought about it quite that way, but there's something quite interesting about mm. thinking about how do we approach Sunday mm. itself, however fully Sabbatarian or not you are, of going, you know, mm. it's a, it's a it's a holy and sacred and, and wonderful thing to be going to worship with mm. God's gathered people, um, mm. and all mm. of us can be a bit blasé about it, perhaps at times. You know, we rush yeah. into we treat it we treat it lightly. You know, halfway through the sermon, we're looking at our watches, wondering if the roast dinner is burning and stuff. Mm. And mm. and I think you know, for us Westerners who can be very consumeristic as well. That can infect mm. the way we think about worship. Yeah, a lot of it gets passed mm. through. I like this hymn. I don't mm. like that hymn, and mm. so on and so forth. Rather than perhaps asking, some no, I think yeah. Questions. I, th I think that's right. That, in a way, that kind of gets into a wider thing about church life and services. In a way, but it, uh, so it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? We're kind of balancing between the wider view of worship, which is everything, and and therefore possibly nothing, but distinctly. Um, yeah, how do we prepare our hearts? I think you're right. That's a, a good. It's a good thing to do. and for and for families especially because it's so busy. Just to get your children to church feels like a miracle. Um, if you have <laughs> more than one, maybe even when we had one, it was still hard. I think um, you you can be in a, a very pragmatic frame of mind, can't you? So you're kind of the you're dealing with the kind of admin of getting everyone in and settle, make sure they've all got the right stuff, etc. And the far more significant thing is preparing them. So that's quite helpful if you have a a journey to church in the car or if you're walking um to be able to speak to your children in the way on the way to pray together and to maybe put some put, put some worship music on in the car to sort of still hearts especially if you've sort of had various things going on 
uh, that morning that you need to kind of you know, redirect attention. That's a kind of good thing. That's a good thing. Again, we speak recently about fathers, didn't we? The, the need of fathers to kind of lead in that in that regard in their families, if 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 they are around, if they are believers, and um, that's a really important thing. So it's because otherwise you do get into that exactly that kind of critical mindset, which is really really sad because um, we all fall into it. Because actually, you get what you you get out what you put in, don't you? you don't you, if you're half in in a kind of worship time, in, in a service of any kind, you're, you're never, you're, you're always going to then sit on this fence and be this kind of, you know, back seat uh, or back back row kind of observer, um, analysing what's going on. And really what you want to be getting yourself in a place, regardless of what's going on, of reminding yourself of how grateful you are to God, how much he is worthy to be praised, how every knee will bow um, at his throne and, and just the greatness and the majesty, which is actually why I do think we need, it is important to focus on the content of the words, and and there are mm. better and worse ways, and th- and there are properly bad ways to do it as well. There are there are. I think you mentioned earlier the feelings thing. It's exactly right. Sometimes you go there, and because you're not, maybe you haven't been able to still yourself and get yourself ready, um, and, and you are singing songs that are about your euphoric feelings, which which the where the words are literally, I am so this, I am so that. And you kind of think, okay, that's I can see the ideas to get you to that place. So you're singing where you're not already, which I, I kind of get why they might do that. But it does feel difficult sometimes when you're thinking, okay, mm. I'd rather be singing about God because then my spirit will actually cohere with those words and be and be drawn up into him. I don't want to really be thinking about myself. And certainly, do we have time to be singing about ourselves in that way? But I think I think you're right that the Psalms do kind of go into some of that language. There is some introspection in the Psalms for sure. I just think in, co- in corporate co- congregational um, singing, there is that emphasis of trying to, it should be, to kind of draw us to God. That's kind of the point. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, that The point of those musicians and the, and the worship leaders is to help the congregation actually to be stirred, which does mean that theology is, is a huge part of that. So you don't want to be just, you know, talking about how great, how, 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 how much of a great stand you are making for him, but what he is uh, done for you. Having said that, some of the ways that some of the the, the uh, focus on the things that God has done for us can also get problematic, depending on how they're described. So there was that Bethel song. Remember, He loves us. He loves us. Oh, how do you remember that one? Did that bypass no, you in the no, Bible? I was this morning, you singing badly, but you carry on. Um, oh, okay, there we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, mean, I was hoping you're going to join in harmonise, but but in that one, it was of course it's great because He loves us. Absolutely, God loves us. Wonderful. Um, but one of the lines was, um, and heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. <laughs> and my heart is beating violently inside of my chest. And so if your heart isn't beating violently, and let alone if you don't want to imagine a giant cosmic oh. sized pair of lips oh. like squ- squashing down and kissing the world and then just dripping all this kind of divine saliva everywhere. It's just a weird image, but it's a kind what of, it goes back to that kind of, yeah. yeah, we should have started this, shouldn't we, with uh, what's our worst, our least favourite worship song. I mean, I think the one for me, that you, not quite as bad as the Sloppy Wet Kiss, I don't think I, I've, I've come across that one. But I used to really struggle with his banner over me as love uh, because there's that line where I'm my, my beloved and he is mine. And as a guy, I found myself, I can't, I just can't mm. sing that. That sounds like I'm singing Jesus is my boyfriend. And it's like, that's just mm. not, I mm. just, and I would get myself in mm. such knots about it. So at this point, mm. the whole moment's mm. gone. Um, but the point you made there, Jim, mm. reminds me, I think it's a very important one about mm. emotions, actually. It reminds me of a line that um, C.S. Lewis uses in the Screwtape Letters, 
where he mm. where he has a screw tape say to his young charge you know try and convince your patient you know the christian that you're trying to mess with try and convince them that their prayers are only worth something if they're deeply emotional and they're there in their own language you know don't let them imagine they can use prayers from the past other people's language or or if they don't if they don't feel the emotion they're invaluable and the screw tape goes on to say because then when your patient hits a dry patch and isn't feeling the warm fuzzies um you know they will be spiritually mm-hmm. shipwrecked and I think the same thing applies in the worship music. You're absolutely right that if it's, if you know, the danger, you can be very careful, I think, if you're, you know, the, the range of worship songs you're singing are leaning into the everything is wonderful, isn't life great? Because then when life isn't wonderful and life isn't great, you're, you're either going to sit, you know, you're going to be singing stuff that's fraudulent um, or you're going to not engage. The, my only caveat would be a lesson I've learned over the years, particularly when I've, when I've been in situations where the worship has been a bit more dirgy, there is a spiritual lesson, isn't there? And you touched on it moments ago in sort of giving that experience to the Lord and saying, I'm just going to do this out of obedience. You know, I don't, I don't mm. feel it. I don't feel in the, in the, in the, in the, in the zone. Mm. I don't resonate with the words, but I'm here. I'm in church. I'm in God's gathered people. So God, I'm going to give this to you. And, you know, yeah. uh, please forgive me if my attitude's not in the right place. And that the attitude can be massively important because that can get you through mm a lot of the mm. dross. It doesn't give an excuse, I think, for the church to go, great, everyone's in that state. We could just sing a load of all as well up. Um, mm. But yeah, I do think coming back to the truths, the eternal truths are really significant. And I think then encouraging the feeling-based stuff a bit more privately. You know, I, I think, mm. yes, there's a discussion around the Psalms because the Psalms were used corporately. But as I said at the start, I think mm. the Psalms represent a much richer range of emotions. The Psalms just aren't all happy, happy, joy, joy. They're also, we're all doomed. It's all mm. depressing. God's gone away. What's gone wrong? Yeah. My feet are about to slip because I envied all the prosperous and all their wicked mm. ways. We don't sing those things. Mm. Um, we mm. just we just focus on the happy, happy, joy, joy part. Um, mm. But I think yeah. part of worship too is modeling to Christians how then in your own private devotions do you draw on those feelings? It's mm. perfectly okay to talk to God about your feelings. It's absolutely okay. But because only you can know what your feelings are, that's where the problem is if you try and make it too corporate um, because mm. yeah. feelings are by their very nature personal. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and then that, that is a, it's difficult. It is a balance because I do think that's probably something where we uh, maybe as guys struggle more in terms of expressing um, emotions um, because it's something that, um, you know, that, David literally speaks about that regularly in the Psalms, it feels like. In many of the Davidic Psalms, it's you, you do, you know, there's that sense, for, especially Psalm 40 comes to mind. You know, I have not restrained my lips. I want to tell the whole congregation about everything that God has done. I haven't held it back. I've not kind of, you know, hidden your the great testimonies within my heart. I've actually ex- expressed them outwardly. And of course, you know, David's wife, um, uh, mocking him for his uh, shameless, unabandoned, um, abandonment, sorry, to God, um, because he's, you know, there kind of naked, half naked, um, and being undignified. Then there was a song. Do you remember that song? Is that another one? Um, the Paul Oakley song it was. I think it was Paul Oakley one. I will dance, I will sing, to be mad. Oh, yes. For yeah. Mad for my king. Glad for my king, I think. Um, and then everyone would go down to the front and go, I'll become even more undignified than this. As a new Christian, that used to fill me with dread when that song came on because I was uh, found it difficult to kind of, be more expressive in worship um, because also I found that it, it, the mob, the youth, the youth, the young people in the church would always mob to the front and just do a kind of jump up and down on the spot, uh, which uh, was not actually all that um, 
uh, and dignified <laughs> because everyone's doing it at the same time, um, as, as often happened in those kind of youth culture um, worship events. The kind of point was to, I guess, David is doing it when no one else is doing it. And so it felt a bit of a, an odd thing. I, we will join the crowd as one and jumping up and down. And that will be us being like David um, as, he's, as he danced before the Lord in a way that was very difficult for him to do at the time. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, I think there's there's also something about, as you say earlier, you know, going back to the thing of not feeling it and then being challenged to to join a congregation. I and mean, that's kind of why we're called to worship together. If you think of how it could have been that God could have done it differently and said, well, you're just going to be an individual Christian. I've given you all you need to know and I'll give you my Holy Spirit. So you kind of, you know, you should be able to get on well. You've got the Bible, you've got the Holy Spirit, yourself and your reason and your capacities uh, to to go and take on the world and, and, and be a Christian. But he draws us into a church, into congregations. And so there's something about coming together as a congregation that's relevant. And I don't think we always get that right in most churches either, because we tend to go into individual moments. I'm going to worship God on my own now, but with several hundred people in the room or 50 odd people in the room, whoever, whatever the situation is. And that seems to sometimes go go wrong. You want a situation, presumably, where you are, it means something that you're together in the room singing together and singing the same words at the same time irrespective of how you're feeling. So it is a ch- huge challenge for a worship leader to, to try to do that because whatever they do, they're not going to hit everyone's emotions, are they, at the same time? But I, I guess you're right to say that there's a full gamut of emotions you want to almost express in the way that the word expresses it, in the, in the way that you see across the Psalms, and not even just the Psalms, of course. You know, the calls to rejoice are all the way through the Bible and to be grateful to God and to give him his due honour and praise. Um so, so worship leader needs to do that, but the con- it has to be a real thing that this congregation together in this moment are, are being drawn to to worship the same Lord. And they're not kind of compartmentalizing it and saying, well, I don't really feel like this. I don't really feel like this is true. I can't sing about God the Father today because I have a difficult experience with my father. Now, that is difficult, but we can't then say, well, we're not going to talk about God the Father anymore, etc. like that episode we did recently. Or we're not going to talk about this or this or this. Because it's challenging. And that goes back to the thing with the Psalms again, which is the hard bits. You mentioned one um, in terms of the retributive Psalms, you know, mm-hmm. the, where there's almost a sense of, I, I want to, or, or the imprecatory Psalms, I, I want this to happen um, to the bad guys. The wicked are over here, or, or there's going to be judgment. We just don't, how do you sing songs like that? We've, we've not been able to sing them for so long because we've only been talking about the fact that God loves us. And yes, it's great that he does. But why are the Psalms there? Why are these other Psalms there which call us to speak about and sing about God's judgment? And that's a real challenge, I think, to us. That's just something that we've airbrushed out of, of Christianity at large. And it does. And this, and this is where the songs have had a huge impact because we just don't have a framework for singing anything that, um, you know, that kind of expresses that. Not that I really even want to. Not, it's not like I want to go around singing songs about dashing infants' heads against rocks, etc. But I think, what, what on earth did it mean for Israel to sing those those songs? And, and in Judges, for example, Deborah's song, where there's rejoicing in the fact that God's triumphed over his enemies, or, or the song of Moses, where, it's, yes, I'm so glad that you swallowed up the chariots in the sea. Awesome well, those are people who died. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So these are, these are things, a challenge how do we there recover something of that? Yeah. Well, maybe we need to write to Matt Redman and say, you need to write a song about the destruction of Vladimir Putin. For example, you know that we can we can sing out and ask the Lord to bring judgment. But you know, the interesting thing is, I mean, I say that semi flippantly, but there's a serious point behind it too. 
Well, I think we're almost out of time because I um I have small children to go and put to bed before there's a riot here in Melbourne. Um, but I love the point you ended there because I think it's a, it's an important one to end on. Actually, that we recognise. I mean, being a worship leader is a challenging task. It's easy, you know, for a couple of theologians to sit there and say you should do it like that. But I think for me, the key thing in this the whole this whole conversation we've had this evening, Aaron, has been that we people need to start asking the questions. I think that theology has been disconnected from worship. And what we need to do is get the theologians and the worship leaders back into the room together to wrestle through some of this and be listening to, to, to one another. Um, because there's equally things that could be said about, you know, as we preach and teach, how do we do that in a way that, that, f- that flows naturally into worship such that the parts of the service don't end up being these these compartments that don't connect. Uh, and equally for our worship leaders who perhaps not are not theologically trained, rather than sit there throwing stones at them, how can those of us in church leadership and preaching and teaching help those those men and women so that they are really serving their congregations. Um, I think to, to me, perhaps the biggest thing that's gone wrong with worship is that theology has gone out of one door and worship has gone out the other and we need to get everyone back in the same room uh, for a while. And actually, one of the things I appreciated about where I trained, London School of Theology, had a brilliant theology and worship program that was trying to do some of that. So it actually tried to combine theology and music in the one in the one program. There were some challenges. It didn't always get it right, but I think it was a great attempt to recognize we need to be thinking theologically about our worship music, mm. not going, oh, that's the arts. It belongs over here somewhere. Mm. And just to, a quick, to, to my, I can't not add the kind of genuine charismatic footnote to it, which is that you, you can't just have theology. <laughs> yeah, verified, brother. You're big charismatic. Um, you can't. By- <laughs> you can't have theology, just theology and music, unless, well, it, well, if you're doing theology right, I think you will get the new mythological, yes. you will get the, the role of the spirit. Well, but basically, you can have, you can also have people who are very good at learning how to do songs and, and brilliant mm-hmm. wordsmiths, and they also have their doctrine in the right order, they have sound doctrine, but you still don't always get that sense that the spirit is active in, in yeah. a profound way, in the way that I think I've seen time and time again, the charismatic, at, at its best, the charismatic movement has spawned lots of not so great stuff, <laughs> to put it mildly. Um, and I think that, but at, at its best, I think you, you want to have a situation where the congregation is free, feels free in the Lord, free of their inhibitions, free to worship God in, in spirit and in truth, and feels almost childlike again, getting that childlike faith. So that's, if there's a gift that the charismatic renewal gave to the rest of the church, it would be almost a recover a recovery of the childlike wonder that I am I'm beloved of God, I'm a child of God, and I'm going to express myself in that way. Yes, they can make loads of mistakes in it, but it's got to be that freedom that comes. And hopefully, when you marry that with good theology that draws you not just onto yourself and your feelings, but towards God, you've got a great combination. And I would argue a bit the, the, the biblical combination, really, because that, that we're not supposed to put truth down or aesthetics down. Mm-hmm. Um, for the expense of the other, and then the, or the spirit down. They all, they all come together in word and spirit um, for yeah. us to worship God. As, well, that's as right. Yeah, I love the, um, one of my, you know, one of my, one of my favorite, you know, little, little sort of vignettes in the old, in the old Testament is that, you know, when you look at the, uh, you look at that, so those passages dealing with the construction and the, and the worship that went on in the tabernacle, you know, there's little asides in places about, you know, the, the men and women involved in that who had been gifted in worship or gifted in, in uh in metalwork or gifted in and there's that, i love that mm. recognition that actually you need mm. those people that the holy spirit is operating in because you i think you could extend that mm. not just to worship actually you could extend that across a lot of what we might write off as being the, the more arty stuff for those of us as theologians mm. but going when well, the spirit inspires that because that brings us back to where we started with newton 
and William Cooper. And I think what was so mm, powerful mm. about, you know, why some of those, that, that amazing grace, for example, had such an impact was you had Cooper in whom mm. the, the spirit was working and it inspired as a poet and a writer and a wordsmith and was so mm. creative. And then you had Newton, mm. you know, who was this gifted pastor and put those two together and together they, they you know, had such an impact on, mm. on him, the D. And then, you know, you mentioned Isaac Watts and others. So it's, it's yes, it's the charismatic tradition, but I think actually the, the best you know, of the, of the hymns and music tradition has been when you've got people who are theologically really clued in and they've got their theology wired correctly or are working with those who have, but you've also got those who the Holy Spirit has gifted creativity, cre- creatively. Um, and what an amazing gift to the church when their streams come together. Well, mm-hmm. on that exciting note, we've probably said something. We probably offend, I, I suspect in this episode, Aaron, we have offended everybody and hopefully encouraged everybody at the same time. So uh, if you wish to send angry letters, please uh, send them in uh, in rhyming couplets uh, to uh, to Aaron, care of... To your, do, uh, no, no, haven't you got a PO box in Australia that you could get people to send them to? And then yeah, maybe I should. I don't gone know. By the the time first, they first kangaroo on the left, Wallagonga Gong, yeah. New South New South Wales. There are some crazy That's place right. names down here and it's a big it's a big country we could talk a lot about australia it's just i just love it culturally it's it's fascinating and the christian history and the missions history down down here too they breed if we get more gap. patron subscribers we were saying if we get more patron subscribers we'll do a kind of part of the gaps tour of australia one day part of the gaps tour of australia one day brilliant well this has been part of the gaps and uh we will be back in two three weeks time whenever it is with us probably hopefully in the same hemisphere and perhaps even indeed in the same country little and continent and uh until that time Goodbye. Goodbye.